I want to welcome you into the Sunday preaching podcast of the Point Church located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. Be seated. So good to see you today. Glad you're here. I've enjoyed the the singing and the praying and the reading of Scripture. And now we're going to come to a time where we're going to open up the inspired Word of God and get into it for just a minute. i I, uh, just been thinking the last few days, you know, when we come to a time like this, uh, the question is really, are we hungry for God's Word? Do we want God's Word? You know, uh, we walk in here today, and we've had our week, and uh, the ups and the downs in and and life, and, and so many things go on week by week by week when we come. And I really believe that as Christians, there ought to be something inside of us that's just craving the Word. Are you craving the Word today? Uh, I don't know about that. You didn't convince me, all right? Are you really craving the Scriptures? Do you want to get into the Word today and ask God to speak to us. I hope that you do. Grab your Bible and go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, in a minute, I'm going to read verse 14 and following and uh, get into the Word. Let me mention two or three things. Pastor John is uh, preaching in Alberta today uh, for uh, Pastor Josh. Pastor Josh has finished up his military duties, and he wanted to take a little vacation. So uh, he's taking a couple of weeks off and Pastor John is filling in for him over there today. And then Wednesday night, we've been doing a variety of things on Wednesday night for our midpoint. Uh, This Wednesday night, Dave Stark, Brother Dave, is going to be bringing the message uh, to us on Wednesday night at 6 o'clock from Luke chapter 7. And I hope that you'll uh, come and and hear that and uh, just be blessed by the Scriptures. I wanted to mention that uh, this coming Friday... Uh, afternoon at 1.30, we'll be having a memorial service uh, for one of our own, Brother Fred Gilliard, uh, who I mentioned a couple of weeks ago had passed away from cancer, and we'll be having his memorial service this uh, Friday at 1.30 at Barrancas. So you be praying for Dion and the family. Uh, Brother Joe and I will be going out there and taking care of that service. So you pray for us as well, that we'll be an encouragement to the family and that we'll, uh, we'll preach the gospel. Let me mention uh, uh, these journals. I, I, I didn't, we didn't get enough in. They're already gone, okay? So uh, there's some more on the way. Uh, probably be here t- uh, t- this afternoon or tomorrow. And so check back this week. If you want to get one of these journals, again, it's just a, uh, the book of Hebrews, a blank page and a page of Scripture. And I'm journaling in mine as I go through this study. And if you'd like to do that, maybe take some notes in there or whatever, we'll have those. Uh, But they're all gone today, and we'll get those in in the next couple of days. Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to get in the Word together, all right? I appreciate Pastor Chris uh, preaching last Sunday for us. Uh, So it's been a couple weeks since I preached, so I'm ready to go today, all right? If you are a pastor, you understand what it's like to not get to preach for a couple weeks, all right? Hebrews chapter 4, we're in our series, Jesus is Better Than, and today... Uh, we look at this subject, Jesus is better than spiritual leaders. Jesus is better than even spiritual leaders. Hebrews chapter 4, let me say welcome to those who are watching at home online. Uh, We're glad to have you and we hope that you'll be encouraged uh, by the message today. I feel like a televangelist doing that. 
But all of our people that are a part of this church that have health issues, some have been sick and other things, I certainly want them to know that we love them and we miss them. And we're glad they're able to join us online. All right? If you're able, only if you're able, would you stand for the reading of the Word today? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Here are the Scriptures. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. That word ignorant there. Uh, The implication there is accidental sin. The word wayward there is deliberate sin. Because of this, he, this priest, is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. To him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And may God add His blessings to the reading of His Word. May we, for a few minutes, engage our minds and our hearts to hear what the text is saying to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that You would cleanse our hands and purify our hearts. I pray that we would not be distracted, lethargic, uninterested, But we would be focused, hungry, receptive. Thank you for this text that teaches us about our great high priest, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is seated now at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. I pray for the sinner that's nearest hell, the one who has rejected the good news of the gospel, has not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, has not confessed their sins, may today be their day of salvation. 
We thank you for those who were, uh, by their confession, saved last Sunday in Alberta. We praise you for that. And thank you for the fruit of the kingdom. For us as Christians, Lord, we come in this room today with our struggles. We come with the burdens that we're carrying. We come seeking you to bring peace and understanding in our life. And I pray that it would be so in this text. Remind us today that Jesus is better than spiritual leaders. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I wonder how many people <clears throat> through the years have become disenfranchised maybe with the church because of a spiritual leader. Just this week I heard about a couple of spiritual leaders, pastors, some of them more well known, who have been relieved of their responsibilities because of choices and moral failures. That is always disappointing, sometimes disheartening. Your heart breaks for them as a person because we are all flesh tanks, capable of anything. Uh, our heart hurts for the churches, our heart hurts for their families. And I wonder how many people actually struggle in their walk with the Lord because they had their eyes more on a leader than they had their eyes on Christ. Sometimes when there is a change in spiritual leadership, it becomes somewhat confusing, somewhat frustrating to many people. Speaking of change, I think we could all admit that we all struggle in our own unique way with change. Some of us don't like to change. I know because I've been pastoring you a long time now. That's a joke. You can laugh there a little bit. We all develop our routines. We develop our habits of life, right? And, and, and we like our way of doing things. Say amen right there. Some people even go as far as saying, you're not going to change me. I'm not going to change on that. I've been a Baptist my whole life, and Baptists don't like change. I read about a church that was having a church business meeting, and they were actually discussing purchasing a chandelier for the church and in the middle of this business meeting the opinions were flowing back and forth and one man stood up to express his displeasure with what was going on and he offered to them two reasons why the church should not purchase a chandelier. He said number one we can't afford it we don't have the money and number two even if we did we do not have anybody that can play it. Some people just don't like change. You know, there's a scripture in the Old Testament in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse number 16 that says, the prophet returned to the ancient paths. I hear that sometimes even in preaching and in churches that, that we need to get back to the old paths. What does that really mean? My first question is, define old for me. And then secondly, define paths for me. Because I think there's some pastors, preachers, or Christians who want to develop their own definitions of what those old paths are. And ultimately what they're wanting to do is to not change. They have an unwillingness to change. As we think about that, our flesh pushes back 
against change. Our flesh fights the Spirit's work in our life as the Spirit is shaping us and changing us more into the image of Christ. Our flesh fights back. Even when we're drawn into salvation in Christ, we push back. I give you that because the Jewish Christians here in Hebrews chapter 4, what they're really dealing with, they're dealing with change in this matter of spiritual leadership. They're dealing with a change in the office of the high priest. You see, there is a new way that is brought about by Christ that does not include, does not include the sacrificing of animals nor the necessity of the high priest to be a mediator with God, there is a new and living way in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 20. A little bit later in this book, the writer again says, by the new and living way that He, speaking of Jesus, our high priest, opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh. So the writer is declaring that change has taken place. There is no longer the need for the spiritual leader, the high priest, to go through the curtain into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood on the altar because Jesus came and He has torn the curtain of the temple in two. And through His flesh, when He died on the cross, He made a new and a living way. Jesus is the best way, right? And so when we think about that, spiritual leaders have certainly been ordained by God. They have been put in a position of leadership, but this text reminds us that Jesus is better than spiritual leadership. In other words, we need Jesus more than spiritual leaders. So if you've got to choose between a spiritual leader and Jesus, go with Jesus. What does this text show us? Let me show you just three quick things that we find in the text, all right? Number one, in verse 14 to 16, I want you to see that in this world, Christians will always feel like we're just holding on. Christians will always feel like we are holding on. Verse 14, since we do have this great high priest who has ascended back into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, the writer says, let us hold fast to our confession. Let us hold fast to the confession of our faith. What is the confession of our faith? Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 9, that if you will confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Our confession is Jesus Christ is Lord, and Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. Now in this book, in chapter 2 and verse 17, in chapter 3 and verse number 1, and then here in our text, Jesus is referred to as our high priest. And I want you to know, we're going to be walking through several chapters uh, in this series, all the way to chapter 10 and verse 26, as the writer unpacks Jesus as our high priest. Now give me your best ears for just a minute. I think we see in that the significance and the importance 
of us understanding Jesus as our high priest. Thus, he takes such a large section of this book to unpack it. The Son of God has now ascended back to heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God. How much of a struggle was it for the disciples in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus left them? They're standing there, and, and the Scripture says they're gazing up into the sky. And no doubt, they're thinking, not only, where did he go? But number two, what are we going to do now? H how are we going to make it? How are we going to survive? Jesus is not here with us. The important principle to learn from that is that Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father is better than Jesus being with us. But they're in that transition of understanding that, right? Now, now these Jewish Christians are, are still the same way. They're, they're wondering, you know, do we still follow the priest? What do we do? And so the writer says here now that, that we have a great high priest who is seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, just as we get the picture of those disciples who are left here on earth, it gives us a picture of ourselves. That you and I are here on this earth, and we are holding on until Jesus comes again. We sang about it just a moment ago, and I believe with all of my heart that today could be the day. Today could be the day that the eastern sky opens up and Jesus Christ could come again. If he does not come today, what do we do in the meantime? Well, we don't just stand here gazing up into the sky, but we are about his work in the kingdom. And while we're doing that, we are holding on very tightly to our confession of faith. The word confession means to grab a hold of, right? It means that we are seizing it. We're clutching it in our hands. We are clinging to our confession of faith. You know, I think Christians have understood that for centuries. All you got to do is read a little bit of church history, and we know that Christians are holding on. Christians are just clinging. Did you catch that just a minute ago in the song that we sang at the beginning of the service? I asked Joe to put that in the service today because the words of that song is this, I'm holding on. I'm holding on to the promises, God, you are faithful. We are holding on to Jesus with our confession of faith. Now, the writer of Hebrews proposes that in everything we face in this life, we have to live by so much more than our own wisdom and our own feelings. How many of you will confess today that your feelings have gotten you in trouble? Your wisdom has gotten you in trouble. Why? Because it's a roller coaster. It's up and down, right? And, and, and we know that we can't survive on our own. We have to have God's help in our lives. So, so here's what we do. Many times we look to humans for the solution. We look to humanity for the explanation. But the Word reminds us today, as the winds are blowing in our world, in our culture, what we need to do is we need to hold on very tightly to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the anchor of our souls. 
Now, he brought us in this room today, and, and for me, I want to say how awesome it is for us to hear right now as the winds of division and the winds of animosity and confusion, the winds of uncertainty are blowing around us as we find ourselves in the middle of the wind, we are not hopeless. We're not hopeless because we stand on our confession of faith that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord in heaven and He's Lord on earth. And I'm glad to profess and confess to you today that He is Lord of my life. Is He the Lord of your life? Is that the confession of your soul? Can you say that same thing? So, so the writer says that while the winds of this life are blowing, he reminds us that Jesus experienced the wind blowing against him. Look at verse number 15. It says that we do not have an high priest who is separated from our struggles. You've got to let this bless you today. Jesus is not disconnected from our struggles. He, he's not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Why? Because He was one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The reason, there's a reason the songwriter years ago wrote, Jesus knows all about our struggles. And He will guide until the day is done. Now I want you to circle that word weaknesses there in your Bible. And certainly the implication would be that one of our struggles is our struggle with sin. But that word there is so much bigger than just sin. It represents pain and suffering and hardship and could even include death. Did Jesus not experience that when he was here on this earth? He went through pain and suffering and struggles and animosity and death. But the question is, what about this matter of sin? It says that he did it without sin. Have you ever asked yourself the question, in what way was Christ tempted? Now, give me your best ears for just a minute. When Christ came to this earth, He was the God-man, 100% God, 100% man. But in His humanity, He did not have a sin nature. So when Christ was tempted, there was nothing in Him that was drawn toward the sin. He did not have a sin nature. So, Pastor, what does it mean that Christ was tempted? Well, the word there means to be put to the test. To be put to the test. Let me compare it this way. When you, when you come to the book of Genesis and you read the first couple of chapters, Adam and Eve are in this perfect place called the Garden of Eden, and they are visited by Satan, right? And Satan comes to them and begins to question, did God really say, right? Questioning the Word of God. What did Adam and Eve do in response to this temptation? They begin to dialogue and they begin to reason with Satan. And ultimately, they gave in and took of the fruit. Therefore, man is cursed and now you and I have a sin nature. Fast forward into the New Testament. When Christ came, Paul refers to him as the second Adam, when the second Adam came, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is in the wilderness, and Satan comes to him and says, you know what, I know you're hungry. 
I know you've been fasting. So if you're really who you say you are, why don't you turn those stones into bread and eat them and satisfy the cravings of your body? What we see in Matthew chapter 4 is because Jesus is sinless. Jesus does not have a sin nature. He does not dialogue with Satan about this moment, but rather he rebukes him and he begins to quote scripture to him. And of course, Jesus did not give in to this test. You and I understand that in our test, because of our sin nature, we have the ability to give in, right? But Jesus didn't. Jesus went through his test. He went through his test and he did not sin. There is no such thing as a perfect person except for the incarnation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He came and he did not sin. So the question is, scholars have debated through the years, could Jesus have sinned and he just didn't? Or was Jesus not able to sin? There's two words. I want to give you two $4 words real quick, okay? The first word is peccability, and the second word is impeccability. So peccability would say that Jesus was able to sin, but he didn't. Impeccability would say that Jesus, is, Jesus was not capable of sinning because he was the God-man. And I certainly would say that I believe in the impeccability of Christ he was not able to sin because Jesus is God. What do we learn from that, church? What do we learn from that? Christ is our example. So when we put our eyes on man and man sins and fails us, we get disappointed. When we put our eyes on Christ, He will never disappoint us. If you want to live your life in obedience to the Lord and you want to deal with the sin in your life and not live a habitual life of sin then you must keep your eyes on Jesus. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 17 says, All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. A person who has been born of God does not live in habitual, unrepentant sin. But he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Verse 20, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Aren't those some beautiful verses? Jesus is the sinless Son of God. Verse 21, so we keep our eyes on Christ. Why, little children, keep yourselves from idols? Our sin nature draws us to idols. You do know that idols encapsulates a whole lot more than a graven statue on your mantle, right? That we all can create idols in our life. Jesus had no idols. He had no draw to idols. He had no draw to sin. But you and I do. That's why it's so important that we hold on to our confession of faith. That we hold on to the Lord. That He is Lord of heaven and Lord of earth. And He is Lord of my life. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 26. It was indeed fitting 
that we should have such a high priest who is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Our Lord and Savior was perfect. Anybody in the room can admit you know you're not perfect? If you think you are, I'm here today to tell you you're not. You say, Pastor, that offends me. I'm sorry, it's the truth. We're sinners. None of us are perfect. You know, I, I love sports. Football coaches will say, man, we've got we've to play a perfect game. If we're going to win this game, we've got to play a perfect game. How many of you know that's not even possible? Somebody's going to miss a block, or somebody's going to jump off sides, or somebody's going to be holding. Something's going to happen. You're not going to play a perfect game. In baseball, we, we say, he threw a perfect game. What does that mean? That means that the pitcher in nine innings, faces 27 batters, and he gets all 27 of them out. But I got news for you, that's not even a perfect game because even pitchers throw uh, balls. They don't throw all strikes. They're not perfect. No one is perfect, right? But Christ is our example. And so we hold on to Him and we keep our eyes on Christ and on our confession of faith. But notice in verse number 16, we hold on to something else. We're holding on to our confession of faith. We hold on to the throne of grace in prayer. Because of our confession, we are able to come to the throne of grace and there we find mercy and help in the time of need. Notice verse 16, when we come to the throne of grace, we come with confidence. We come with boldness. We come and we speak plainly. We, we don't approach it with a tentative spirit or a hesitant spirit, but we come with assurance. We don't approach the throne of grace with an attitude of, well, you know, God, I really don't want to bother you today. God, I really don't want to bother you today. Or, or maybe, God, you know, I know this is a big thing to ask of you. That's not the way God views His children. God invites us to come boldly. And listen, there's a movement in Christianity in North America that teaches that prayer is coming to the throne of grace and that boldness is this, God, you're going to do this. I command you to do this. Friends, that's not prayer that we find in the Bible. When you come to the throne of grace, again, Christians are always going to feel like we're holding on. We're holding on to our confession. We're holding on to the sovereignty of God, knowing that God is always in control. Church, hear me today. God is not wringing His hands today. God is not worried today. God is not stressed out today. God is in control. Completely in control. And what do we do? In this world, winds are blowing all around us. We're holding on to our confession of faith, and we're holding on to the throne of grace. And until Jesus comes, until the eastern sky splits, we're always going to be feeling that way. Number two, look at verse number one of chapter five. Spiritual leaders are called, but are never sufficient. Spiritual leaders are called by God, 
but, but are never sufficient. Notice what the text says. It speaks of men who are chosen to assume the office of high priest. Now, in your Bible, there is very clear God-ordained leadership. God ordains leadership as a part of accomplishing His redemptive work. Verse number 1 says that every priest, uh, priest is chosen, chosen by God, and he is appointed by God for the specific task of acting on behalf of men in their relationship to God to offer gifts and sacrifice. So we see God appointed spiritual leadership. And I'll add that I believe that is still true today. I believe God is still calling people into positions of spiritual leadership. I believe that's true of a pastor. I don't believe pastoring and preaching is something that you just wake up one morning and decide you're going to do. Trust me, you don't want to do that. <laughs> you better know that you're called. Because if you don't know that you're called, you're going to have a tendency to want to quit and do something else, all right? But when you know that you're called and you're in the place that God wants you to be, you know that you have a role to play in God's redemptive work. Such was the case for the high priest. Two important things the high priest did. Number one, he was able to sympathize with the people. The priest is human. The priest is a sinner. He can relate to what's going on uh, in his flock or the people that he's ministering to. Verse number two says that he deals gently. That word gives a picture really of standing between. Here's the accountability that we have to God. Here's the struggle of mankind here on earth. The priest is able to gently understand God's standard. He also understands the struggle of life every day. And so he, he's able to connect with those who are ignorant and wayward. Why? Because he himself is beset with the same weakness. Now here's where we get in trouble. We get in trouble when we put spiritual leaders on a pedestal. We get in trouble when we lift man up. That's why there are some Christians who are so mesmerized with a man when the man dies or passes off the scene. We've seen this for decades in churches. You let brother so-and-so change churches or die and the church falls apart. You know what that tells me? That tells me that the church was built around brother so-and-so instead of Christ. The church is not built around family or, or, or the pastor, the spiritual leaders. The church is built on Christ. And so the priest sympathizes with the people. But the, the priest is also called by God. To do what? To offer gifts and to offer sacrifices. Some scholars say that the word gifts there is referring uh, to the offerings that are made that did not involve the shedding of blood, while of course the sacrifices offered were those uh, related to uh, the death of the animal and the shedding of the blood. There are others that say that, that those two words are interchangeable. But watch, the high priest, the high priest had a job to do, ordained by God. Uh, he had the responsibility to make sure that the covenant with God was enforced. The priest had the responsibility to always be directing the people and their heart toward God. 
I mean, over and over, we, we see the, the children of Israel in the Old Testament running after other gods and running after other nations. And so it was the, the priest's job to say, hey, you, you need to get back over here and turn your heart toward our God. Follow the law of Moses. The high priest had the responsibility to handle the regular sacrifices and offerings in the temple. The priest had the responsibility to bless the people, to offer a blessing over the people. And most importantly, the high priest had the job on the Day of Atonement of bringing them, making that grand entrance into the holy place in the tabernacle for their Day of Atonement. And I want you to get this picture in your mind that when the high priest, who's loved needed, revered, appointed by God, when he would go behind that curtain and would be standing in there by himself at the Holy of Holies, that man was nothing but a mortal man. That man was nothing but a sinner. That's very important. Please hear me. Pastors are sinners. (laughs) The Pope is a sinner. He's not deity. He's a sinner who needs Jesus. Priests need Jesus. Spiritual leaders need Jesus. The real contrast here in this text is, is this priest compared to Christ? In verse number 3, this priest is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for the people. I've got to make a note on verse number 4 before I move to my last point. Notice verse number 4, and no one takes this honor for himself. But only when called by God, just as Aaron was. I did a little word study on that word honor there in verse number 4. And that word means to, to value, to put a price on yourself. The writer here is saying, no man thinks that he's something. No man lifts himself up. I've got to be honest, in 48 years I've seen some of that in the pulpit, and I've seen some of that from spiritual leaders. I've seen some pastors who could strut sitting down. I've seen people who highly value themselves. I've seen, I I read an article just a couple of days ago, and I actually put it out there in social media, and and the, uh, the, uh, the article was entitled that we need to make pastors uncool. And I thought it was great. What it was saying was, it was saying that in this, in this Western culture in the United States, we've got this phenomenon called celebrity pastors. Oh, they're so cool and they're so awesome and they're so wonderful. And, and the article says, why can't we just get back to pastors who are not worried about their skinny jeans, but they're worried about the touch of God on their life? There's nothing wrong with skinny jeans. But we've got this cool, we've got this cool thing going on, this cool phenomenon going on. And you know what? We find out that even cool pastors fall and fail because they don't have their eyes on Christ. You don't lift yourself up and put yourself on a pedestal to be worshiped by men. You always are pointing people to the cross. 
Always pointing people to the gospel. You don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Why do we say that? We say that because Jesus didn't do that himself. So spiritual leaders shouldn't do it as well. The end of verse number four. Only called by God just as Aaron. i got to make one more point there. If you study the lineage of the high priest, where did it start? Started in the Old Testament with Aaron, right? From the line of the tribe of Levi. So all of the high priest had to be in that lineage. And when we think about Aaron and the, and the blessing and the honor of him being chosen as the first high priest, what do we find from Aaron when Moses comes down off Mount Sinai? What did he discover? He discovered a golden calf and he discovered a high priest, Aaron, who was going along to get along. You know what that reminds me of today? Jesus is better than any spiritual leader because spiritual leaders are weak and frail and they are sinners. Let me finish my message. Verses 5 through 10. The third thing we learn from this text is that Jesus will never let us down. So let's follow Him. Jesus will never disappoint us. Jesus will never let us down. So let's follow Him. Real quickly, look in the text. Christ did not exalt Himself to be made a high priest. He was appointed by the Father. Over and over again, Jesus came, He said, to do the will of the Father. I've got a, a role. I've got a responsibility. I'm not here to exalt myself. I'm here to point people to the Father. And then two quick references from two different verses in the book of Psalms. First, Psalm 2, verse 7, where the Father says, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. That word begotten there is not parentage. It is a word of appointment. You're my son. You're the Messiah. I have a role for you to fulfill in my redemptive plan. Verse number 6, as he says also in another place, a quote from Psalm 110 and verse number 4, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now who in the world is Melchizedek? I want you to know he was not in the lineage of the tribe of Levi. He was not in the lineage of Aaron. So why in the world would Jesus be from the line of Melchizedek? You only find Melchizedek mentioned twice in the Old Testament. The first time he's mentioned, the Scripture says Melchizedek, he is both king and priest of Salem. Melchizedek was chosen by God to deliver the message to Abraham of the blessing from God that he would be a chosen people, that he would be the one from him. A great nation would be born and the seeds of the earth would be so many that they would never be numbered. You see, Melchizedek had a special place as both king and priest to deliver the message our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was not from the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of David, right? 
And Jesus came, Jesus came to this earth to deliver the message. The message is that all who will believe in me and trust me, I will forgive you of your sins. I will give you eternal life and I will be your high priest. You see, this section here is all about Christ's divine sonship. And friends, that is the confession of our faith. It's a statement about God's exaltation of His Son, Jesus Christ, to be our King and our priest forever. Let me wrap it up. Verse 7, we see Jesus' humanity in His days here on this earth. He was praying. He was offering supplications. We see that in His, in his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was crying out with tears. He was, he was actually asking that this cup would pass from Him in His humanity. His flesh was crying out. In the same breath, his goal was to do the will of his Father, the one who had sent him, because that word reverence there at the end of verse number 7 means divine submission. He came to submit to the will of the Father. Verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. The picture there again is as the son, his divine sonship in his flesh, he experienced following through with obedience all the way until His physical death on the cross. And it's through that, verse number 9, that He made perfect the redemptive plan of God. Jesus was not made perfect in that He wasn't. He was made perfect in that He is the fulfillment of the completion of God's redemptive plan. And Jesus became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So church, hear me as I close. Jesus obeyed the plan perfectly. He made redemption complete. Today, Jesus is the Son. He's the Son of God. But He's also the priest. He is the high priest. And I will tell you that our high priest will never let us down. Our high priest will never disappoint us. He's like Melchizedek, but he's different than Melchizedek because he is the eternal king. He is the eternal priest. You see, Melchizedek died. Our Savior and our Lord died, but praise God, on the third day he rose again. And there is no end to his reign. And as Jesus is reigning today, seated at the right hand of the Father, on this earth, we're holding on. We're holding on to Him. We're living in fellowship with Him. We are following Him. And our flesh today is groaning and is crying out while we're holding on in divine submission also to our Father. That in our life today, we would all pray together as believers not my will, but thy will be done. And in these last days, we keep our eyes on Jesus. I'm done. But let me say this. I appreciate spiritual leaders. I appreciate the role many spiritual leaders have had in my life. But church, listen to me. If they all quit today and renounce the gospel and go home, I'm not going to quit. And if my hero... 
somebody that I look up to, that I've read all of their books, if I find out that they were just an immoral, dirty, rotten scoundrel, I've still got my eyes on Christ. Because my hope is not in man. My hope is in the Lord who gave Himself for me. And all God's people said,